Hey, I'm Bailey. I'm Michael. And welcome back to the Face in the Gates podcast. David is not here yet again. Um, so what ha- happened was um, our trip to the Catholic Church was a little far away, and David didn't come with us because he wanted to watch the dogs or whatever. Certainly not that he would uh, burst into flames by being in a Catholic church. That's definitely not the reason. So I mean, we, he hasn't burst into flames yet. And Yeah, but we didn't go to any, like, you know, there weren't any holy water at any of the other churches that we've gone to. So yeah, but, I mean, he could, he could f- boil uh, if, if we flung some, or if, if imagine if a tiny drip of holy water got on him he would begin to melt like a vampire or something i don't think that's how it works anyway um, any of it works yeah so we didn't invite david to talk with us today because he didn't go to the service and and he's asleep with all the dogs so that too um yeah but he'll he'll be here next time maybe when we um go to the orthodox church yeah yeah One, one of the i don't remember what order this is coming out in so He'll be in one of them. You'll you'll catch him. Anyway, um, we're here to talk about uh, our first time going to a Catholic Mass at Our Lady of the Rosary. In uh, wonderful Greenville, South Carolina. Yeah, so I guess I, I think um, it's fair to say out of the gate that this church thus far, and probably out of all the churches that we have gone to or will go to, wins the architecture review. Oh, my God. Yes, it's gorgeous. It is a so it's a very big uh, cathedral esque church. Um, when we went in and met um, Father Dwight yesterday, he gave us a tour. Um, they have like a lower church um, for the smaller services during the week, and they have the cathedral the upstairs. High church. Right. Um. So, just walking in, you have the. Uh, the narthex is that the the foyer the fancy word for yeah yeah it's the narthex the entrance into right um there's a couple um i think there's a statue of jesus on the right and a statue of mary on the left i think um and then you would walk into the actual sanctuary or the nave and the ceilings the first thing you notice is it's it's kind of like you have to take a minute to absorb everything. Oh, there's so much. There's a lot to take in when you first walk in. It's absolutely just stunning. We just walked in there and just stood there for like five minutes and looked around. When we were getting a tour, walk in there and all the lights were off. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that caught my eye mm-hmm. was the uh, kind of building structure in which the proceedings would happen mm-hmm. and obviously where the candles are the jesus on the cross and then underneath it is where the communion bread is yeah the altar yep and just all the natural sunlight just lighting that up and it's done to look like you're looking towards the sky because the whole back wall is a Nice sky blue, mm-hmm. not too light, not too dark. Yeah, and it's just awe inspiring. Yeah the the first one of the things that really captivated me was the massive sense of scale, um, and it's very indicative of Roman architecture. Is they just like to make really big things with really really high ceilings. 
which I love. I uh, absolutely adore those high ceilings. Yeah, yeah, I mean it was really cool because it makes you feel makes you feel small, but it also it, it creates a sense of awe and like this and, is a place of great importance. Basically, yeah, it felt extremely serene, even just looking towards the front. It was just like wow. Yeah. This this is something that has purpose. Yeah. And this church was only built like five years ago. Um, so but you could easily have fooled any of us and yeah. said it was built old, older because it, it seems like they really took the care yeah. to do it proper. Yeah. And all the stained glass mm-hmm. was took in from an old church mm-hmm. up in. What? I think he said Pennsylvania. Up in the northeast uh, of America. Massachusetts. Somewhere, somewhere around there. there. Yeah. And. It was just gorgeous. And then the uh, once you got past the stained glass, there's I can't remember the material, but Are you talking about in the um, transept on the sides? Yes. He said it was something. He said they used to make it. I forget the material too, but that, they I, used to make that window out of a certain type of material but it was too expensive, so they bought a knockoff version, and it looks the same, basically. Yeah. It, but it, it kind of creates, like, that golden halo yeah, or that golden tra- light. that translucent yellow. Yeah. Just really adds to the ambiance of it. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And when you look to your left or your right, you'll see depictions of Christ on the cross moving. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a, it tells the story of the Gospels as you go around the room. There's different icons on the wall and um, various artwork kind of depicting that kind of thing. You also have the the baptismal font in the very back. And then you have uh, your pews, of course, your, your middle aisle. And then on the sides, you have archways that are really tall. And then you have um, another archway above your head, kind of where the, the ceiling kind of curves. Um, and behind you... Uh, above the narthex is the organ which is massive yeah and it sounds really cool too yes um and then then, you have the rosary mm -hmm, right yeah because they they have the rosary um i think it's around the uh baptismal font yes and then there is a it's just on the ground that there's a little painting of the rosary kind of and then up in above the organ there's the round window, which is another stained glass window. Yep. And it's just so much to take in. It's just so gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, if you guys if you guys are interested, look up um, Our Lady of the Rosary in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, look it up on like Google Maps or something and you'll see a picture. It doesn't show it doesn't give you the full um, experience of actually going in and having seen it. Because I saw the pictures of it, and it still didn't give me that sense of scale until I got in there. Because you can only get so much from a photo. You can only capture so much height. Um, yeah. But yeah, walking in there is a, a different experience than yeah. looking at a picture. But and, it'll at least give you an idea. And to the left of the altar, where the like altar boys and everybody comes in, mm-hmm. there is a depiction of the Virgin Mary and baby Jesus, mm-hmm. and her holding him, and it's... And done in a metallic way, mm-hmm. and it's very Roman-esque. Yeah. And once you get up 
to the altar if you look up to the center of the uh kind of building that the yeah, so building architecture they, they have, have a they have uh towards the front um is the altar they have a, ste- a few steps going up to the altar and then they have the altar itself and then they have um four columns around the altar leading up to this uh larger structure that is kind of like the sky uh, it's like a painting of the night sky type thing and keep in mind everything you see is massive so it has this sense of height and scale and importance when you're looking at it. Um, he kind of described that around it were the four angels. Um, and then uh, it's, it's a reference to Revelation, I think, where he was talking about how uh, the angels sing holy, 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 and that's inscribed on the inside of this structure. And I can't remember what was inscribed on the outside of the structure, but there's something inscribed there too. Mm-hmm. And then there's little, there's stars and I think a dove or something. Yeah, that's symbolic the of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And and it's directly above the altar. Um, and then behind the altar, you have Christ on the cross and six um, candles. And then you have... Um, I guess, did you say it was the Ark of the Covenant? I, I can't remember what it is, to be honest with you. It's just so much to take Yeah, in. there's a lot to absorb. Um, but So there was that, and the people we were sitting with today kind of explained that those lights are meant to sim- symbolize um, the Old Testament. Um, what's what's the, the Jewish light thing? The candles. Yeah. I, I don't uh, know. We're going to be terrible. There's usually seven for. Yeah. Uh, and during Passover, each, however long one is lit. Uh-huh. But in Christianity, there's they use six, and Jesus is the seventh candle. That's why he's in the center, three on each side. Yeah. And then on the right hand side of that is in the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Is the candle of what? What's the word? The one that shows that the whole that I don't know what it was called, but it was a a, a light that was always burning. Yeah, to basically. show that the spirit is there. Yeah, um, and and also that they're because I believe they always leave um, consecrated. Like what's the what's the word? Sorry, I'm I'm sorry uh, if I'm butchering Catholicism for anyone uh, who is actually Catholic and listening to this. Uh, the communion, Eucharist, substance, the bread, bread and wine, consecrated uh, elements. They always have, I, I'm pretty certain they always have spare. And that's why that light is, that's also why the light is lit just to. Yeah. And it's under lock and key and inside of yeah. where they keep it is a little, uh, curtain. Mm-hmm. To represent in the Old Testament the Holy of Holies, yeah, where you there was a did no, not go, yeah. It's so much symbology and just so much. And right where I, right where me and you, Bailey, were sitting, mm-hmm. is where they bring the uh, scripture out. Uh, the uh, the gospel book. The yeah, it's where they bring the mountain on each corner represents. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah. And 
also represents Jesus's story. Mm-hmm. Um, they also underneath the altar and in a couple places on in the the lower uh, sanctuary, they had some relics, and he he had like there was like five or six. I think there was five. That there he was had. five under <clears throat> the main under the altar. Yep, and he kind of showed them to us and. You know, it's just little tiny pieces of yeah. bones from saints or whoever, but they're first-class relics. Yeah, and then the altar is also a kind of throwback to when Christianity was forced underground into the catacombs, mm-hmm. and they would literally have proceedings in on a <clears throat> graves, and there were literal martyrs inside of those. Yeah. And it's v- so much symbology, as I've said before, and I cannot, yeah. I cannot stress this enough. It is something you should, ex- you need to at least visit and experience because it is just gorgeous. They took so much time and care mm-hmm. into making this place what it is and the representation of their faith, like so, so much. And we were helped through the service and explain things by the person who helped restore a lot of, I want to say like help design the uh, artwork on over the entry doors Mm -hmm. and then help restore the glass and statues, statues and and all that. And between, I think he did a lot more than he told us. Yeah. And that, that added to, the importance of it and how much it means to them mm-hmm. and the time and care that went into restoring all of those. Like in the lower church, mm-hmm. each depiction of Christ on the cross was found and restored. Yeah. And a lot of the statues were restored. Yeah. Which, as someone like myself who really appreciates and loves history, mm-hmm. that takes more effort than it does just to buy something new but when you buy something new you lose that history you lose that significance yeah to a point yeah so i like how i like you i really like how they put a lot of emphasis and detail into the history on a lot of things and, and there's every everything has a purpose there's a lot of symbolism in everything every single stained glass window or a piece of architecture or art, it all has a purpose. And um, we probably, we definitely didn't absorb all of it today. Or, I mean, or yesterday. It was yeah. so much to take in and just yeah. absolutely awe-inspiring. Yeah. Even if you're not a Christian or if you're someone who's happy in your worldview and you don't want to become Christian, if you happen it's it's kind of like a necessary life experience to go to a catholic church and go to a catholic mass at least just once just to see what it's like because this is my first time going to a catholic church ever um and i think it's it's really important because catholicism is a very large majority of christianity in the world and a large and part is, of world history yeah and it has survived the test of time um and it's a very regardless of your feelings about it it's it's an extremely important and pivotal uh force in the world's history 
Yeah. And, and it, I think it's important for people to kind of at least experience it and learn from it. Yeah. And even if you don't take anything away from the service, you can take something away if you appreciate art, history, uh, architecture, ceremonies, traditional music. Yeah. If you appreciate any of those, like they really knocked it out of the park. It's yeah. not a church in a box. It's a unique expression and representation of Catholicism. Mm -hmm. So being that we're talking about the architecture and stuff, this is one of the churches that um, one thing is that is kind of, I guess, well known about Catholic Catholic art is that they have very realistic depictions of um, Jesus, of Mary and the saints uh, what is what is your opinion on the realistic architecture style? Honestly, I haven't had time to absorb it all and form an opinion. <laughs> okay, it, it it's just so much to bring in. It's very iconic. Yeah, there's nothing else like it. Yeah, and even if you are Catholic and you go to a more church in a box like. Catholic Church. Uh-huh. I would highly recommend going to, uh, like a cathedral, and experiencing it because it is awesome. Like yeah. there's no other way to describe it. It's mm-hmm. takes your words away. Yeah. All right. Um. So I guess we should probably talk about the actual service itself. Um. Which again, thank you to the nice older couple that welcomed us in and helped guide us through. I think it was Donna and Jim. I'm pretty certain. I think you're right. But again, thank you. And it, it was very nice. And your conversation was also very nice after the service. Yeah. It helped us, uh, digest a lot of it. And also surprisingly, the service wasn't too difficult to follow along because they do have a bulletin. Um, and that has most of what happens in there. Now, granted, there's like certain moments where people are kneeling and making the sign of the cross and stuff like that, that, you know, you're not going to pick up on your first time. And it's yeah. going to take some, if you want to become Catholic, it's going to take a little while to get used yeah, to that. But, but we, we were told ahead of time of that in that it, don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was cool that like every, cause everybody knew what they were doing, but we weren't really judged for not knowing what we're doing. Cause yeah. you know. You can't expect people who have never gone to Catholic church to know what's going on. Yeah. And during certain times of it, you could, something that was told later that I figured you can watch the uh, altar boys and what they're doing and where they're looking. Mm -hmm. And that can kind of help you figure out what's going on. And I take cues from them. Yeah. And also there's a lot of people who, might have been their first service too that were in the same boat as us. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of welcoming. Yeah. And makes in a group like that makes you feel like, Oh, it's okay. I don't know what's going on. They don't know, but we're all in this together. Yeah. And no one was staring at us during any part of it, which in a more, uh, modern church you'd get stared at (laughs) because the 
point of a lot of those services are is the self, whereas this seemed greater than thyself. Yeah. So starting out, um, because I'm I asked uh, Father Dwight yesterday, I know what kind of mass it was. It was a nose ordo mass with a lot of the more traditional elements kind of mixed in. Um, so hopefully I'll get brownie points for the Catholics uh, for knowing that. But anyway, um, I, I've i never, like I said, I've never been to uh, Mass before, so I don't know a ton of the distinctions and differences between the Novus Ordo Mass and the Latin Mass, and I know it's like Vatican II can controversial, and I'm not going to get into that discussion because I don't know enough about it. Um, all I can say is that I'm a passive observer and this is the kind of mass we went to. So, um, they started the service out with, uh, I believe it's the procession where the, the altar boys bring in the cross, um, and you know, had the big organ playing. The organ was really cool. Yes. Uh, it, it, it just, it was. sounds so big in, in it and it, the way the, the church is built the way <clears throat> the organ fills the acoustics of the room. Yeah. It goes like up and out. Yeah. Instead of straight at you. Yeah. So it, it, it creates of, a really cool, uh, sonic effect. Yeah. It's impactful, but not distorting. Yeah. Um, so they brought up the cross. Um, and then I think we sang a hymn. I'm gonna have to look at this this um, bulletin and try and remember everything that happened because there was a lot of things and I didn't. It's kind of like the Anglican Church; like you have to take some time to absorb it, and still haven't absorbed everything. But um, yeah, so we sang a couple hymns, um, and then. They began the scripture reading. They started out with First uh, Jeremiah or Jeremiah, and then they had a yeah Jeremiah twenty three <clears throat> one through six yeah, and then they uh, did a a psalm. They sang a psalm. The had they had the choir uh, kind of sing uh, four lines of a psalm, and then the congregation would respond and then the choir would sing another four lines and so on and so forth. Uh, the choir was really good. Yes. Like I thought there was at least three times as many. Choir. I was, I was listening. I was like, there's, I, my guess was four, uh, but there were six of them. Z but cause I could tell that there wasn't like a giant, a whole lot of them. Yeah. But usually with a choir and where they're placed, you need a lot. Yeah. But they did a fantastic job, yeah. especially blending the voices together, mm -hmm. harmonizing. So typically, I think they had like a main melody and then they had a counter melody. And sometimes they brought in another counter melody. So I guess it was usually just two or three person per part, depending on the song. And they were they were really good. Yeah. Um, Hats off to you guys. Y'all did. Yeah. I've great. been in some churches where you know you can have as many people as you want and they they're all tone deaf yeah. uh, so it's really refreshing to have um people in a 
position where they're expected to sing and they actually sing well. Especially young people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, they were, they were like, there was like a six year old, I think. I don't know, roughly. Like, they were, she was really short. And it's like, like six to like mid teens or so, I think, was roughly yeah. um, the ages of them. But yeah. Um, then there was the second reading, which is from the Epistle of Ephesians, um, chapters 2. Uh, 13 to 18. And then uh, they had this, this is my favorite part, where they brought out the uh, the gospel book. Yes. And we then right beside. Yeah. So they brought out the gospel book um, and, you know, you have the altar boys and then everyone, they're flinging incense on the... Uh, they're probably, fanning incense. Yeah. yeah, yeah fanning the incense. Throughout from, the whole proceedings, they were doing that at at the altar and when <clears throat> when they brought in brought the cross in, as well yeah. the procession um so they brought down the uh the gospel book and then the organ hit, goes into like the lower register and hits like the lower notes along with the higher notes and it creates a much bigger like really cool sound and it's like, you know, this is important kind of thing. And so the priest is bringing the gospel book down. And um, as he's bringing it, though, you watch everybody turn to face. Yes. Face the book. Yeah. Um, and then he read from it. It was Mark chapter six, verses 30 to 34. And then once he was done reading it, he kissed the book and then brought it back up to the altar. Um, and then the priest gave his homily or sermon, um, and it was very informative. It for, was very, for, very, I think some of that stuff was covered in our interview. That's yeah. how in, type of informative it was. Yeah. And it really, uh, kind of ties in the knowledge that they want you to have. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was definitely... It was cool that it was a, it was kind of an educational type sermon as opposed to an emotionally charged sermon. <clears throat> so they had been doing a series on the sacraments and this one was focused on holy orders, which I knew of, but I was like, you know, I didn't know, I guess, exactly what they were, but that's basically when a priest is ordained, um, that kind of thing, uh, just kind of the positions of authority within the church and, and passing that down to people yeah. is a sacrament. And why some can be married, because if they come into after they've already been married. Yeah. And it's it and explains diogeny. Uh, no, die, die. Uh, what's the word? What's the word? What's the word? For... Like how you have a uh, regionals managers diocese diocese not Diogenes diocese Di <laughs> Diogenes yeah. was an insane man <laughs> diocese that's there and it was really informative yeah so basically he explained how um, yeah because this did tie into the interview because Father Dwight was talking about how you have a priest and then you have your bishop of the diocese and then you have your archbishop of the um, 
I guess the archdiocese. Um, and you have your cardinals. Yep. And, and then you have the pope. Yeah. Um, so he kind of in in this in the homily he talked about basically like like Michael mentioned um, why. What was the word he used? Um, uh, he explained the difference between a discipline and doctrine. So discipline can change, but doctrine cannot. And so he kind of talked about why certain priests are allowed to be married and certain priests are not. Because typically, you know, like Michael said, if you are if you're a convert to Catholicism and you're already married and they're going to honor that and they're going to allow you to become a priest, but you can't become a bishop. Um, and similarly, uh, Eastern Catholics, um, according to Eastern Orthodox tradition are allowed to be married. So if they come into the Catholic church, um, they are also allowed to retain their marriage vows. But again, they don't, they're not allowed to become bishops. And then he talked about some of the more controversial stuff as well. And I like that he didn't shy away from it. Um, yeah. Such as uh, the, women not being able to be ordained, the um, scandals and sex scandals, and how that informs things, and that again tied into our interview yesterday. Yeah, and it's it's refreshing to see people not shy away. Sorry I about that. Don't know what that was, but it's refreshing to see someone look at it on the kind of on the inside and not shy away from it. Yeah. And yet also talk about it in the manner it needs to be talked about. Yeah. Um, and I, this is one thing I, I've never known or understood. Uh, I guess I really haven't gotten too deep into it, but I never knew why women were not allowed to be ordained. And he explained that basically um, they believe that when Jesus instituted holy orders, which is when he chose the 12 disciples, he did not, he chose all men and therefore uh, the disciples continued that tradition. And he didn't demean women in any way. He's like, you know, Jesus hung out with women and was very close to them. He just didn't ordain them to do this job specifically. So take it or leave it. That's at least uh, an explanation of why that is. And that's something I didn't have before. And so I think it's a good thing to kind of understand where these traditions are coming from. Um, and then after that, was there anything else you wanted to talk about on the, no, no, I was about to move on to the next thing. Yeah, after that, the Nicene creed was recited mm -hmm. and then the a universal prayer. Mm hmm. And then they had the offertory, uh, where they passed a little basket around and you passed it to, um, you know, behind you and put your uh, offering in it. And then there was a couple things that weren't in um, the the bulletin here that ha that happened, but basically it was preparation to receive uh, the Eucharist. Um. I don't remember all the things that happened, so I'm just going to skip to what's on the bulletin. Yeah. Um, there was the Sanctus, and that was a hymn sung in Latin, and to the left you have it in English. Uh, they have the Memorial Acclamation, the Lord's Prayer, and the Agnus Dei, which is also in Latin, but again, it has it on English on uh, in English on the left side. Yeah, and let me know, due to everyone 
knowing uh, kind of the notes and everything. It was very easy to follow even in Latin mm-hmm. and very easy to pick up because I've never spoken Latin a day in my life. Yeah. But I could follow along and long and I could have sung if I felt appropriate. Yeah. And then that's one thing I, again, hats off to everybody in the choir, to the organ player, to the whole congregation, really. Mm-hmm. I felt this is one thing I really felt is that everyone had a purpose. Everyone served a greater purpose in the service. Yeah. Even if it's a lesser purpose, it's still a purpose. Um, And it, to me, with everyone serving a purpose, that really... Because, again, the one thing I don't like about a lot about a lot of modern Protestant versions of Christianity is it's led by one person and they get the spotlight. Yeah. And it kind of takes away from the whole... It's less organic. Yeah, and it puts force upon the ego. Yeah. And it takes away from what you're there for, yeah. which is worship. Right. And... So then, um, basically, they had people come up for communion. They um, had uh, what, were, what were the altar guys called? Do they have a name? The altar guys. <laughs> we'll call them that. Uh, the, the, basically, they would let you know when to let your aisle go. Yeah, uh, and, and they would have you kind of stand in line um, to receive communion, and you would walk up. Me and Michael walked and, up and. Uh, made a kind of the sign across across our chest um and, and there was a lot a of people who did that and that really it made me feel more comfortable doing it mm-hmm. knowing i wasn't the only one yeah so basically anyone who is a visitor um or not catholic if, yeah, if you're not catholic um also if you're not uh there are certain situations where you're not permitted to partake in the eucharist if if your priest is trying to get you to do something through repentance um, or you have not prepared or you don't feel worthy, then those are all valid reasons not to partake in it. Yeah. And you know, cause they take it very seriously that, um, you know, if you partake in, in the Eucharist unworthily um, could be like a Holy of Holies type situation for you. Yeah. And there was no judgment for not partaking. Mm-hmm. You still received the blessing and you followed suit back to your seat, just like everybody else. Yeah. And it was really nice to see it as a large community. Yeah. Coming and being in. that there were that many people there, you would think that it would take a really long time for that, but it really didn't. No. It was really, because they had two lines, and it was just, it was really streamlined. Because they had two lines, they had two priests, you know, it was just, it was really... All right, it didn't feel like it belabored the point. It didn't feel like you're standing around waiting forever, which I don't know if that's more indicative of how impatient I am. Or, uh... Well, I have been, <laughs> back when I went to church as a young one, I've been in a community where it was like 30 minutes in there, and it was not even half the people. It's like, come on, guys. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, and let's get the body and blood, and let's get back to our seats. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then they had a the post communion hymn, and then uh, a prayer to Saint Michael the Archangel. They had a couple announcements, and um, we were dismissed. And then we were dismissed. It was very, 
and we were speaking with um, Jim and Donna a little bit afterwards, and they were kind of filling us in on a couple other things, which we've already kind of discussed. But uh, yeah, and we, we met a couple other people. Um, we met uh, Father Dwight's wife, and um, I forget the other priest's name. We met him and his wife. Yeah, and they um, were very happy we were able to come and experience it. And yeah. again, I cannot thank them enough for welcoming us into their place of worship with such open arms. Yeah, they were very down-to-earth people and willing to like talk to you and explain stuff if you were confused. Yeah. Which, I, you know, I probably would have had like a million and one questions, but also, uh, again, when you when it's kind of like a shock when you go in there because it's like, I need time to process this. And then once I've processed it, I'll probably have a million questions. Yeah. But I, I'm still kind of like processing everything. Me, me so, too. I'm still yeah. processing being shown around <clears throat> and shown all the relics and sh- told the history behind these. And uh, one thing I didn't mention in the lower church is along the walls where there is a uh, the Christ with the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stained glass mirrors are of saints. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, not saints, martyrs. Yeah. And you can tell they're martyr by the palm leaf on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then underneath that represents the way they were killed. Yeah. Which that, I would have never guessed that. Yeah. It was and good that he gave us a tour and kind of talked about very it. Very informed, a very intelligent, well-spoken. Yeah. De- didn't delve into earthly problems but gave us the history and gave us the reasons behind these things and again that as someone who is big in the history someone who's big into religious studies that is awesome yeah that that really helps bring home what it all means because you can for a lot of people you can teach them theology and teach them all of that Mm -hmm. but unless you put the real world sacrifices and the real world of how this all ties into it from everything from the good, the bad, the ugly and being honest and open about it really shows me that you care about what you're preaching. You care about what you're bringing forth. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing. Whether or not you believe in it doesn't matter. I still think this is something you need to experience you should experience, especially in the world where we're so divided and we're so stuck in our ways. Yeah. That opening your eyes, even if you see problems with uh, the denomination or anything, it's one thing to speak upon the problems and not not experience. It's another to speak upon it with experience. Right, yeah. And again, best architecture. Yeah. Wooden pews, zero out of ten. I'm just kidding. Sur- it wasn't it wasn't too bad actually. Surprisingly, yeah. they, they were. They're not as bad as I remember as a kid. And yeah, also, well, we also weren't there too long. It was like an hour and a half or so. Yeah, but it still didn't feel that long to me. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about liturgies is they kind of transcend time. Yeah. Whereas listening to some sermons, it's like. Can we get on with it? <laughs> yeah. Whereas yeah. this, it's constantly flowing, constantly moving. Yeah. One thing leads to another, leads to another with purpose. Right. Yeah. It flowed really well. Yeah. Um. Michael was able to wear his devil Satan cross and Why? nobody judged him. 
my saint's cross, sir. Yeah, I know. I'm just trolling you. And <clears throat> it was it was kind of refreshing because in because they understand like the historical context of that. There, because for people who maybe hasn't haven't heard the earlier episodes, uh, Michael has an upside down cross that he wears um, in reference to Saint Peter. He didn't feel worthy to die like Jesus, so he was crucified upside down. A lot of people don't know that today because it's become a pop culture icon of Satanism. Which, uh, when you look back into how that became a pop culture icon, it was very evangelical (laughs) people, Bible thumpers, that made that a pop culture icon for Satanism. Yeah. And... Historically, though, it is a Christian symbol. For the saint of humility. And for people who are aware of history, that's how you can tell. Because if, uh, you know, people might have a different reaction. Now, some people do wear it because they think it's, you know, edgy and Satanist. But that's Um, that's why most time I wear it tucked in my shirt. Yeah. Because it's a personal symbol. Yeah. And it's it's nice not to be judged upon the things I choose to do. Like, no one looked at me weird because of all my piercings. No one looked at you... You weird because of your uh, tattoos. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, that's how the conversation of art was brought up. Yeah. And it was really a refreshing experience. And before we even got to the proceeding, uh, a man who seemed down on his luck came up and talked to the father. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, before the service started, he um, he came up and... Father Dwight was like extremely willing to help him with whatever he needed. I think he needed food or something. And talked to him and kind of before the procession. And that to me says a lot because, as mentioned in the interview, it is in a rough area. Mm -hmm. You look right across the street and there's a, I don't want to put this negatively, but a crack hotel. Yeah. Yeah. And with a growing city like Greenville, there's a lot of growing pains with poverty, transients, so on and so forth. And being willing to help really says a lot. Yeah. And putting your money where your mouth is, is kind of a big deal. Yeah. Especially for someone like me who has a reason to distrust organization and distrust the human condition, Mm -hmm. seeing that. And I've seen it in most of the churches we've been to. That they're not just talking the talk. They're doing their best to walk the walk. And that means a lot to me. Yeah. And seeing it in action in person really brings it home. And all in all, this was definitely worth us driving forever. Yeah. It was, it was like a two and a half hour drive. And it was longer on the way back. Because we <clears throat> of came, course, it always is. We came to my house. Yeah. And, but... If you guys happen to be in Greenville, seriously, go check out Our Lady of the Rosary. Yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. Very much worth your time, your effort, and your thoughts. Do we have, uh, do we want to talk about anything of the interview? Do we want to kind of dissect anything from there? I I think everything was well said in the interview. There's not too much I really think we can dissect anymore. What about, uh, well, I'll ask. Off of my head. Because I'm, I'm still in, still processing a lot of it. But so let's. Well, I want to bring up a couple things about that actually. Oh, hit. So, what did you think about his explanation of purgatory? And what do you, what do you? 
Because it, it was, he did mention that it was a medieval development. Yeah. And it's not, you know, in the Bible, but obviously Catholics aren't uh, sola scriptura either. Yeah. I, that's something I would honestly have to sit here and think about. And because I don't have too much an opinion, because when it's brought forth in the way that it was explained, mm-hmm. it makes sense. Yeah. But definitely. I also get that some people might have an issue with it. But, I think it to me when I think of it, it creates a dynamic where you earn forgiveness. You're not just you're granted grace, mm-hmm. but to get that grace, you also have to do something to earn it. Yeah, and you, that doesn't necessarily mean. And that, that that ties in with him talking about how faith and works are not separate things. It's yeah. kind of the same thing. Because by not having some way, because even asking for forgiveness is doing something. Admitting you're wrong is doing something. Whereas the once saved, always saved creates a problem where you don't have to. Yeah. Why? Yeah. And so, but purgatory is something I'm going to have to do a lot of thinking and a little more reading up on and kind of brush up on. Yeah, I don't have a problem in theory with purgatory. Um you know, I understand uh, why Catholics believe it, and it makes sense, and it checks out in that way. Um, if you're coming at it with those set of assumptions, then it makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't like um, the certain Catholic theologians that want to push it as basically another form of hell, and I, I don't because that's entirely like like Father Dwight said that's entirely speculative. So that and then the issue of mixing it with indulgences in its historical context when these two things kind of came about that was uh coupled together are very problematic. Yeah. In my eyes. But um you know, if you take if you take purgatory on its own and kind of just handle that on its own um I get it. Yeah. And also when you look at the historical context from which from henceforth it was brought and look at the uh lining of popes from the era and all of that and do more research you see why. Yeah. And that's what I need to do. I need to do a little more research, do a little more digging before I have a full concise opinion, opinion on it. Yeah. Whereas now it's just the overview opinion. What about um, the structure and organization of the church, governance, and uh, the Pope? I still have... Because Michael <clears throat> says he doesn't like... I, I don't. Uh, ...religious authority and structure and power. But I also see the issue with unstructured religion and the evil from henceforth it can push. Yeah. But I will say during the interview that... Catholics aren't a part of my French kiss-ass bootlicker that says every pope was good because it's obvious. Every Some of them are. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, but not, but not all, all of them. Yeah, and he 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 didn't shy away from that. Mm-hmm. And I that I give a lot of respect for that. Yeah, because. Because he mentioned basically that, you know, obviously there are, there have been bad popes. And popes that probably didn't know damn word of the Bible. Yeah, and, 
you know. <laughs> Didn't know anything about Catholicism. <laughs> yeah, and so on that level, it is, uh, it's problematic for me as an outsider to be like, okay, you guys put this guy in power, and so this is kind of your problem. Yeah. Um, and and so like I I I think it's kind of a good idea when you have a good pope, but a bad idea when you have a bad pope. And I don't know. I I think the pope has a little bit too much power in the Catholic Church as it is right now. However, I do get where they're coming from and why they need to have a senior executive individual who has the authority to make executive actions and choices like that. Yeah. And you also have uh, them to keep preachers from bending the word to their will. Yeah, it's it's a system of checks and balances, and that's, I think, something that's necessary. There are some churches that don't have that, and you can tell. And one thing I've came to terms with as I've matured is that humans are naturally flawed. At the end of the day, no matter how much power you have, no matter how close to God you are, no matter how firm in your faith you are, you are just mortal. Yeah. And every mortal will make mistakes. Yeah. And it's the acceptance of that where I still distrust most organizations like governments, religious organizations, things like that. But I've come to terms with that. And so you asked me this question five years ago. It'd be a lot different answer than it is now mm-hmm. I, because I have seen the difference from church groups that don't have any organization versus churches that do have organization and it is a vast difference and it the difference I've seen has been keeping a lot of historical context keeping a lot of the history alive uh, and, and the traditions, the traditions and not shying away when asked a question. Yeah. And not bullshitting. Yeah. And so <clears throat> take that as you may take that as you will. Mm-hmm. It's still something that I will more than likely be doing a lot of thinking on much like purgatory and all of that. But overall, it was a very positive experience yeah because it it's one one other thing before we wrap up about the interview you said uh because i know some people are weirded out by relics because it's just you have random like bones of dead people in your church now uh now some people are weirded out by that but you weren't yeah it was just it was just like okay cool i mean my mom wanted to be a mortician i don't judge anyone from for keeping their grandparents' ashes, keeping their dogs' ashes. Uh, when you look historically, people have kept bones and things. I have things for my grandfather. Yeah. And so I don't look at that any differently than I do any of that. And anyone who's weirded out by relics, forget that museums have literally taken whole bodies from sites like in Egypt. Yeah. Like, uh, ancient bodies found and found under permafrost. If relics are going to weird you out, that should also weird you out. Yeah. The fact that we 
embalm people and then put them in the ground to stay about like that for 20, 30 years should weird you out too. <laughs> yeah, true. I um, mean, the yeah, so chicken I'm, in your fridge should weird you out. You got a dead animal in your fridge. <laughs> That's fair. And, um, and plus, I, they're... Well, the first time I heard about it, it, it kind of weirded me out. But I was like, I mean, it was just kind of off-putting, but it wasn't like, okay, I'm never going to your church because you're just that weird. Like, it, it wasn't like a... It's not like a deal-breaker thing for me. It's yeah. just a little foreign, I guess, because it's not something people do every day. Yeah, well, plus again this ties back to my story with the native american church they there were still sprinkled ashes on a rock outside they used uh ceremonial pieces made out of dead animals mm-hmm. they also kept ashes of lost members like that didn't weird me out it was very, it seemed very uh it keeps the history alive of yeah. that person and it keeps their spirit moving forward in my eyes. Yeah. It can be a very respectful thing if done right. And yeah. the, t- the care and security of those relics, it's top notch. And the respect that they are given really is great too. That's why to me it's not, it's not like they're making a spectacle of it. Yeah, it's not a art museum. Yeah. Of bodies. Yeah. And, and so if you have an issue with relic, you should have an issue with museums. <laughs> okay. <laughs> have you been to the bodies museum? I have not, but I have been It's really gross. <laughs> I've been to uh a bunch of museums. A bunch of museums in D.C., the Smithsonian's, the Museum, which is no longer Basically, the Bodies there. Museum is like, uh, there's different areas of it that show different organs of the human body. Yeah. Like, they have, like, the whole uh, cardiovascular system. I don't know how they managed to extract a cardiovascular sim- system from Very someone. carefully and precise. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've seen that on the internet. And they've talked about, they, they have, like, a, they have, like, a... A smoker's lungs and a non-smoker's lungs and like an alcoholic's liver and a non-alcoholic's liver and different basically just dissected preserved parts of a human being yeah. so it's and a little, little gross but it's uh interesting at least if done right and done with respect it can be a very beautiful very informative thing yeah. and that's how i look at relics and they're no different in my eyes and sometimes it's they're shown with more respect and more care yeah because they have been passed on for generations in yeah. some cases all right well is there anything else we got to list off about it not really just i'd say if you want the full experience you got to go there you need, to, you need to make a trip to greenville south carolina 10 out of 10 is very good very good yeah so I, it was very enjoyable informative and serene experience yeah so um I just remembered the order of these episodes that are coming out. Next week, we're going to be interviewing an Orthodox priest. Yeah, like yeah. like Michael said, because... Michael remembers. Michael is good. For once, I remember. Yeah, so anyway, uh, that's been about it. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, you can email us at facingthegatespod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at facingthegates. Um... Also, uh, give us a review 
please. Yeah. Also, one thing. Uh, thank you for the book, Father Dwight. I'm definitely yes. gonna have to break into it and read it. Yeah, and I'm I collecting just, a bunch of stuff from all the churches we've gone to. So yeah, I just nice. wanted to give a thank, a thank you for the book. Yeah, and I just didn't want to leave that out because that's a very meaningful thing to me. Someone, yeah, and he, signed, me and he signed it. Yes, and addressed it. It's very cool. Nice. So, anyway, I think that's about it. Uh, you got anything else? I do not. All right, well, I think it's been real. I think it's been fun. I think it's, I think been, it's been real fun. fun. Uh, we'll see you next time. Love you guys. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye.